I forget to grab a bulletin from time to time, but I just wanted to point something out, and I'm sure you've already seen it, it's been pointed out, that uh, underneath the announcements, don't know if you've noticed that, but we started putting prayer requests here. And um, there, are, there are a few people here on the list that, uh, as you'll notice, some that you know and some that you may not know. Uh, but one person in particular, uh, right at the end, her name is Lupe Hernandez. Some of you remember Johnny and uh, Yolanda Real. They, uh, this Lupe is uh, a sister of Yolanda. And uh, she, we, we had just found out that uh, just this last week, I think I found out on Thanksgiving Day that she has cancer throughout her whole body. And uh, so there's nothing they can actually do for her at this point. I believe she's uh, in the hospital still, and she'll be there for some time. So remember Johnny and Yolanda, uh, just like many of us. We've gone through a lot this last year, and they, they too have gone through a lot as well. So keep them, keep them in your prayers as well. And uh, if you have any other prayer requests, we'd like to, to lift you up in prayer throughout the week. Let us know. Put in the back of your, your card, your visitor card, and ask us to pray for you, and we will. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you. But let's do that even now as we go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your love and your protection, uh, the perseverance, Lord, that you give us to be able to go through just about everything and anything. And Lord, sometimes when we think that we can't make it, you're right there to remind us. And we thank you. And Father, we know that in spite of all the bad things that have happened in our lives and, and all the, the, the trauma that we've gone through, we thank you. And Lord, in, in, in these instances and the people that have connected with us and, and that we know of, and, and we, when they call us and they, they remind us to pray for them, we thank you, God, because people are asking and proclaiming and calling out to you and knowing that you are the God of all wonders, the God of miracles, the God that just stretches out his hand and, and uh, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Your love continues to endure forever, and we thank you. So, Father, we lift up these petitions that are before us uh, here in our bulletin. We pray for, for our family as well. Uh, my mom is in a hospital for, for Danny and Sylvia and, and the loss of their son, and, and for Ray and Rosie and the loss of their brother, Lord, and, and also for Lisa and, the, and just the, the accident that she's had and how you're helping her to heal and, and come back and, and be stronger. And for the Gomez family, Lord, we, we pray for them for just the many things that have happened. And just recently, this last week, another loss in their family. And we pray for Lupe and and her children, Danielle and Sonny and, and uh, Jeremy, uh, we just lift them up to you. Father, there's other requests that are here within the hearts that have not been uh, verbalized yet, but you know those requests. You know the need. I pray, God, that you fill it. You know the hurt and the pain. I pray that you heal it. Father, you know every single situation. And because you know, we thank you. And we thank you, Father. We know that a, an attitude of gratitude just turns this frown upside down to a smile and helps us to, to focus on you even more so. Because we know that when we are focused on our problems, when we're focused on all the negativity, it turns into worry. But Lord, we want, we want our attitude to be worship, so we want to focus on you. And we know that when we focus on you, Lord, it becomes worship. And worship and worry, stress, anxiety cannot reside in the same heart. So teach us to be thankful and to worship you in all things. Lead us this morning through this portion of scripture as we conclude this passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. We're still in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be going through verses 23 and on. Yeah, let me see here. Uh, as we talked about last week, we, we, we have talked about Jesus Christ being the preeminent Christ 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard me say that Paul is addressing the church in Coloss, not only the church in Coloss, but Hierapolis, and also Laodicea. There's the tri-cities that were situated in this valley that was prone to earthquakes. And we'll, we'll see how that's uh, going to be important here in just a little bit. But this area, that the, these churches, and Paul is writing this letter to, and the only other church that we know that Paul wrote a letter to was the, uh, Laodicea. Laodicea is the, one of the churches in the seven churches that, that Jesus addresses. But Paul also wrote a letter to Laodicea, and we'll see that here in Colossians a little bit later, as he says, the letter that I sent them, read that one and read this letter to them. So there was correspondence going back and forth from Paul in prison to these churches and the surrounding uh, people as well. Because there was this heresy, there was this thought, there was this thinking of philosophy called Gnosticism. We've gone through Gnosticism quite a bit. I've given you outlines. If you like another outline or you'd like to refresh your mind on what Gnosticism is, basically it was this idea, this philosophical thought that in order for you to get closer to God, you had to be, well, wise. You had to be an intellect. And uh, that's what Gnosticism is, Gnostic or knowing, and wisdom and knowledge, knowing God. And so their, their understanding of getting to know God was to be as smart as they can get. And they, they had this dualistic idea of the body is what's made out of matter. Everything that's made out of matter, this world, this planet, you, me, it, it's evil. And it was created by an evil emanation or a spirit or something that came from God. And this planet was created by one of those emanations that got evil. And God created these emanations. They, he made them all good. And so one of these emanations created the world. And therefore, the world is full of matter and the world is evil, and so it doesn't matter what you do to your body. It doesn't matter if you drink or if you eat in excess. As long as you are wise and an intellect and you start to think philosophically about who God is, and the smarter you get or the wiser you get, the closer you get to God. And so what Paul does here, and then just this one sentence in this one verse right here that we're looking at, what Paul does is he just goes right up against this this thought, this philosophical thought. He says he is the image of the invisible God. Okay, God is invisible, yes. But Jesus Christ is the image, the icon, the exact replication. He is God himself. Not a replication, but he is God, the firstborn of all creation. And people take this firstborn as being, you know, he was born from God on Christmas Day. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a matter of, it's a matter of position more than it is of preeminence or, or being uh, the first in line as far as, uh, the people understood this because we we went through this here this last week and talked about how he's the firstborn, how Israel is the firstborn of all his people, and God had created many other people as well. They weren't the firstborn, but they are his first uh, significant. They, they are the, the most significant. Jesus Christ wasn't the firstborn. He is significant. He is preeminent. He's above all and first and foremost of all things. And go, he goes on to say in the next verse, verse uh Verse 16, for by him all things were created. See, the, the, the Gnostic thinking was that, that these emanations, these things that were coming from God, and, and they got bad. And one of, these, one of these emanations, one of these spirits, one of these forces that God just supposedly just shot out were the creator of this universe. But Paul nips it right at the butt. No, Jesus Christ is the creator, for by him all things were created. Things, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or domin- dominions or 
rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. And we talked at length about why these things were created. That God is not, that Jesus Christ is not only God, but he's also creator. Not only is he creator, but he's sustainer. He holds all things together. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, uh, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. This is Paul just going out and saying, look, he's number one, he is God, he's creator, sustainer, puts it all together. These things that you're hearing from all these other people that are coming into the church. And the thought was, look, you need more revelation. You need a special revelation. You need a different connection. See, it can't just be Jesus Christ. It's got to be Jesus Christ plus these revelations or these visions or these ideas, these thoughts. And it's got to be Jesus Christ plus that. Yes, we believe Jesus was uh, died, but we didn't believe that they didn't believe that he was actually human. They thought he was just one of those emanations, a good emanation at that. He was one of those spirits. As a matter of fact, their thought was that he didn't even leave a footprint as he went through the earth. He floated along the ground and, and didn't touch anything. He, was, he, he wasn't evil. He was, he was good. He wasn't like us. And they believed that, that he was one of those emanations that God made. And, uh, and therefore, he wasn't actually flesh. Paul goes up against this here in just a little bit. And, and they were saying that, and Paul is, is telling them straight up out the bat, he says, no, no, he, he is the firstborn, and he holds everything together, that in everything he might be, be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, God poured out his fullness. Jesus Christ wasn't just one emanation. You didn't need to get all these different ideas. You didn't need a second blessing. You don't need another revelation. You don't need something else to come up to, up to you because all the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get this because though this thought and idea was way back in the time of Paul in the first century, that idea and thought has crept through the church throughout all history. You have churches now that say, no, you need a second blessing because the first blessing wasn't enough as if what Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. You need another revelation, a new revelation, a fresh revelation, they call it, a fresh fire. You need more on top of what Jesus Christ has already done. Beloved, if Jesus Christ did not complete everything when he said it is finished, then we're done. Because if you're allowing all these thoughts and ideas and emanations and philosophies to come in and, 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 and to deceive many, which Jesus said from the very beginning in Matthew 24, I'm asked all the times when there's a war that breaks out, when, when this COVID broke out, you know, these, these pestilences and diseases and earthquakes happen. I'm always asked, is it now the end time? Is, you know, these, these are the things, wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and all these things. Is it now? Is it, is it going to happen now? Well, the one thing many people forget, the very first thing Jesus Christ said was, do not be deceived. That's the first sign. Deception. And he says it again later. He says, you know, this deception is so real and is so big and so widespread that it could deceive even the elect, if it was even possible. The elect, those that are God's, those God's chosen, those that he has already picked out, those that he has died for. The Bible says, Jesus says, you know, it, it, it's so powerful. This delusion is so strong that even they will get deceived, if possible. 
That's how big it is. And so deception is one of the things that Satan uses. And deception basically is, is, is a, a little bit of truth. Actually, a lot of bit of truth with a little bit of falsehood in, in there. And so these people were being deceived into believing that they needed another emanation, another dose of the Holy Ghost, another you know experience, another. And when people are calling for God to fill them, to God to, 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 to fill them up and to, and to touch them and to be in them, when, when people are calling for this extra dose of God, they're basically saying Jesus Christ wasn't enough. And Paul is saying here, no, he says, what he's done, he says, from the, he's from the dead, that he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This word fullness, this, this Greek word was a word that they used. Oh, in order, in order to get full, in order to get full, you need to have these visions. You need to have these emanations. You need to have this, this connection with God, which we have, by the way, they would say. And it's interesting that because a lot of the people that claim that they've gotten this new revelation, this new feeling, this this dose from the Holy Ghost, those that claim that they have prayed enough to uh, one of the saints or one of the Jesus' mother, or, or that they have claimed that they go to the right church, or, or it's, it's only the one person that can give them this fullness that they are claiming. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing how, how most of these people that claim to have this type of feeling and, and I, I just say this out of experience, and I, I have not done any research on this or not, but out of experience, most of these people say, well, it's because you don't have it. I got it, but you got it. You don't have it. They think of themselves a little bit more elevated. You know, well, I, I get those all the time. You know, God is always downloading information into my life. He's always giving me a special dose of the Holy Ghost. He's always filling me up when I pray for it. He's always giving me what I ask for. And all I have to do is claim it, and it's mine. What Paul says, no, if you're a Christian, if you've been regenerated, if you have been redeemed, if you've been forgiven, if you've been reconciled to God, you've got the fullness of God in you. And the problem is, is that we are looking at everybody else getting so full and, and falling and, and being fooled by the denominations and all these other ideas and thoughts. And we look at ourselves, you know, how come I don't have it? I'm not special. I thought I was special. No, beloved, we're not special, but God is. And he gives us the full dose of who he is. And so what Paul is saying here, he says, I want you to know something, that for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It, 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 it's in him and it's, it's, it pleases God. And that was the first thing we talked about yesterday, God's pleasure to reconcile. For in him, the fullness of God was is in us. And in him... One of the verses that we have in the first uh, the point number one is uh, in him in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So number one, God's pleasure to reconcile us to Christ. That is God's pleasure. God, God has, God's pleasure, God's desire is to reconcile those that are his. And we're going to see why. We're going to see that here in just a little bit. And what does it mean to please God, to reconcile you to him? What does that mean? Is that God says, you know what? I don't want to count this sin against you anymore. Jesus Christ paid the price. Excuse me, paid the price. You are now no longer an enemy. You are now a friend. And there is no other option. There is no other blessing. There is nothing else that you need because God himself is sufficient through Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2.9 
It says, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He also says this in John chapter 116, for, for from him his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And John is talking to those that are redeemed. You've received all his fullness. You don't need another dose of the Holy Ghost. You don't need a second blessing. You don't need a new revelation. You don't need a fresh revelation. You don't need anything else. All you need is the, the grace of God running inside you and understanding that you have his full life. You're full. I don't know how else to put that, but you've got it. The problem is, is that we walk around defeated. We don't, we don't walk around understanding and knowing that, you know, that we're full. That we have everything that God has to offer. And one of the reasons is, is because, you know, sometimes things happen to us. And we think that, well, you know, it's because I did something wrong. Or maybe I'm not good enough. Or, and, and things, things are going to happen in your life, beloved, whether you like it or not. They're happening in my life. They are. And I know that they will happen in your life. But when, when I understand it, and you know, this is, this is a conversation that, that I've had with my wife. And when we understand that God is in control, everything just seems to be, you know, I, God, I thank you. I thank you that even though I don't understand what's going on, I thank you that you're in control. Because otherwise, I would be lost. I would be just like everyone else that's running around in this world. The word um, uh, pleroma, fullness, was, was a term used by the Gnostics, as I said a little while ago. And, and Paul uses this word, and he uses it, not only are you full, but you're full to the fullest part that you can ever actually get. God has filled you with his spirit. You don't receive portions of his spirit here and portions of his spirit there. You see, the Holy Spirit is, you, you don't get baptized by the spirit. People are looking for a baptism of the Spirit. No, the Bible says that you are baptized into, by the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into the body of Christ. You receive His full gift. And what gift is that? Well, the gift of, of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You receive all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you need. All we need to do is be right with God, and we need to understand God. I, I have all the love. I have self-control. And I've got to fill my mind with God's thought and God's word and God's, you know, and I said this earlier uh, during our Bible study, you know, some people want to want to hear from God. God, you know, I, I pray, God, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. And you know, here, it's right here. You can hear God right here. No, no, but I want to hear you out loud. Well, read it out loud. By all means, you just read God's word. That's his word. You have the awesome privilege and, and, the, and the honor to hold God's word in your hand. Beloved, you have it. And I am surprised at how many people do not meditate upon God's word, do not understand it. Paul tells the people in Colossians that they don't need angels to help them. That was another thing that, that they were uh, basing their, their life on. This is one of the things a lot of people in today's culture, people are always telling me they see angels, they heard angels, they want to worship angels. Paul says, you don't need angels. You don't need anything else but Jesus Christ. That's it. In John chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The second thing we talked about last week, we talked that number two, that God reconciled us through Jesus Christ. That God reconciled us through Jesus Christ. This is the plan of reconciliation. And I spent a lot of time on creation. I spent a lot of time on how the Bible says and what Paul says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
I've been redeemed by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And we focused mainly a lot on the first part. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood. All things, earth, heaven. You know, earth, heaven, everything up above the earth or below the earth, everything. God redeemed everything. And so we talked about how God is bringing everything back and he will bring everything back because this world is a broken planet. This world is not heaven. And this is why we go through sin. And this is why sin happens to us. This is why we experience the things that we experience, the loss of life, sickness, relationships, yeah, you name it, things that, you know, governments. It's, all, it's a broken planet. This is not a perfect place. This is earth. This is not heaven. And God needs to reconcile it. And he says that Jesus Christ has done that. He's going to do that. And he's going to reconcile it to himself. He's going to bring it to himself. And the fall resulted not only in a, in a fatal damning of the, of the human race, but of also this planet. When Adam and Eve sinned, he kicked them out of the garden and says, you know, from this point forward, the ground is only going to produce for you guys thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work hard to get those thorns and thistles out of the way so you can eat. You're going to work hard. And not only that, you, you're going to, your childbirth is, is, going to, is going to increase in labor pains. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, you know, mammals give birth. Uh, you know, cows, horses, pigs, whatever. It, they, they don't seem to have any problem. They don't like, wah, they're not crying and yelling out. You know, they, they, they feel the urge coming and the, the baby's going to be born. They lay down, boop, they pop it out. Baby starts bouncing around and mama gets up, cleans it off, and it's, it's done. You see, the animal kingdom didn't experience that, that curse. But you and I did, mainly women. Uh, that, that's happened to us. But if you look at, if you look at everything that has taken place after the fall and how humanity has just constantly ran from God and ran to, wanting to serve themselves and themselves only. And so we, we live on a cursed earth and it's cursed, uh, the universe and, and it's all fallen apart and it continues to fall apart. And we talked about that at length yesterday, uh, excuse me, last Sunday. And, uh, you know, but the one thing that we, we didn't touch on much is that the second part of, of that verse, where it says that we were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. See, God's general plan was to reconcile all things to himself. But his main purpose is to reconcile you and me to him. Reconciliation. He wants to reconcile us. He wants to reconcile us. He wants to reconcile us. And he does this because of his love. And the, Paul turns the specific reconciliation to us, the people in Colossians, and to us as well. To, and to impress upon, uh, upon them Christ's power to reconcile men to God, Paul reminds the people in Coloss that they will they were like before they were unreconcilable. He says, "You were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Alienated means estranged. Alienated means cut off. Alienated means separated. You and I, we were separated. We were cut off. We had nothing to do with God. Many people say, well, yeah, no, no, I've always been looking for God. No, you can't be looking for God. You could not be looking for God because you're alienated from him. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that you were running from him. Uh, you know, this alienation, it's, it's a hatred. It's this, this, this desire just to, you know, I don't want anything to do with you, God. Just get away from me. You know, but give me the blessings. Give me the blessings. But you know what? Don't tell me what to do because I want to run my own life. This is my life. Another way of putting this, Paul says that in first, in Ephesians chapter two, this is in your outlines as well. 
In chapter 2, verses 1 and verse 3, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins of your life. We were dead, spiritually dead. And there was no way of us being able to communicate with God in our deadness. Just like any, any other person, when, when they're dead, they're dead. That's it. It's gone. And there's no life except for what God can give to you, what God can provide you with. And we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead. And there is no spiritual connection between us and God at that time. And he goes on to say in verse 3, and we were by nature children of wrath. You know, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, it says that he, God's going to pour out his wine press of a wrath. His, his wrath is coming just like the wine press. You've heard that song, uh, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The grapes of wrath are being, you know, and, and the wine press is this, this tool that they would use to put everything in a vat and, and they would turn it and squeeze the grapes out of it. And God says, his wrath is coming to us in such manner because we're alienated, we're enemies, we're dead. And God's going to take care of those people that are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Beloved, do not be deceived. There are some people that say, you know, we, we, we're all children of God. We're all his children. No, we're not. The Bible is clear on that. There's children of Satan, which Jesus talked about the Pharisees. And he told them, he says, you know, if you were children of Abraham, which is of God, then you would know who I am. But you're not. And because you're children of the devil, that's your father. You know, you follow him. You don't even recognize who I am. There's only two. Out of all the religions of the world, there's only two. God and Satan. That's it. And when we understand that not everyone is God's children, the only way that you can be a child of God is to be, well, first of all, born into his family, or second of all, be adopted. That's salvation, to be adopted. You're adopted into his family. You and I as Gentiles have been adopted into his family. Or you're born into it like the Jews were. That's a whole different subject, but first and foremost, you're not God's child unless you're adopted or you're born again. That's why he says that. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. See, and, and Paul just continues to, 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 to say this, and not only in Colossians, but also in Ephesians. And the Colossians had also, had also been hostile in mind, or, or hateful, or, you know, just, just, I don't want anything to do with God. And that's you and me prior to Jesus Christ. And their problem is not ignorance. Their problem is that they didn't under, you know, ah, well, I didn't know, because there is no excuse. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, Paul tells the people in Rome, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. People ask me all the time, what about the people in Africa and way down in the jungles? What about those guys that had never heard about Jesus Christ? Paul says, they're without excuse. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. Just look at the universe. Look at the stars. Look at the trees. Look at life. There's a creator. Something or someone has done this. Someone, and so instead of worshiping the creator, they in turn worship the creation. Their minds were deluded and confused and they got sent to the creation and they worshiped the trees, they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the water and so on and so forth. In verse 18 of Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. What Paul is saying is this, they know this, they understand this. 
and, and they claim there is no God. In other words, in, other, in order for you to say there is no God, you have to acknowledge, well, there is a God, but I don't believe that there is a God. Because if there was no God, you know, why, why are people so upset when they get, up, they get mad about God? Well, there's no God. I don't believe in God. It's just a fairy tale. They don't get that upset about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, right? I mean, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I know some people that have gotten upset about Santa Claus. Santa Claus is real! I won't mention any names, but... <laughs> one, one day, my, one, one year, my, my daughter, one of my daughters said, you know, I still believe in Santa Claus, Dad. I don't care what you think. And what you say, all right, Mia, we'll just let Santa Claus bring you your presents this year, okay? Wait a minute. <laughs> For although they knew God, Romans 1.21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The rest of that chapter goes on to say, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling the mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Paul says, you, want, you don't want to believe? Okay, well, I'll let you not believe. As a matter of fact, I'll even harden your heart even more so, so you don't believe. God's going to give you what you desire. What do these people want? They wanted wisdom. They wanted intellect. They wanted a special revelation. They wanted a connection. And God says, go for it. You know, if you want to worship everything else on this planet, people included, saints, whatever the case may be, you want to worship the angels, you want to worship that, I'll let you do that. You got to know the truth. Beloved, you got to know the truth. In Romans 3.10, says, no one is righteous. We know this. We've talked about this. All, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we were alienated. They were alienated. Paul is bringing it back to them. See, And you can't be letting all this other stuff come in. Because it's all you need is Jesus Christ and that's it. Christ's death on the cross reconciled us to God. He gave us what we needed. He gave us all that we need. He reconciled us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, and, and I, I don't know if you have this in your outline. Well, you don't have it in your outlines. In Romans 5, there it is. Wow, very good. And, and open it up in your Bibles as well, because I want you to mark it up. He says here, for while we were still weak, you have your Bible open to Romans 5, 6 through 10, just un underline that. We were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. That means without God, hate, hatred toward God, dead without God, alienated from God. The ungodly, those that don't have anything to do with God, Christ died for you. Even while I was too weak, to, see, I, I can't do this. You can't do this. We couldn't do this on our own. I was too weak. Even while I was so weak and so sinners and, and, and such, a, such a person of no strength, of no character, of no moral character, I wouldn't choose God. And even then, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for me, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. He showed his love for us. 
we were still, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, when you were an enemy, dead, you were alienated, when you were so far away from God, removed from God, ungodly, Jesus Christ died for you. And now that you have been reconciled, how much more do you think he's going to love you? You see, it, it makes no sense for us to walk around thinking that we're defeated and we're beat up and the enemy is attacking and beating me up. I need more. Give me another dose. You, you don't need anything more. You've got everything you need. This is the truth that, that I pray that, that would just sink. I, I'm going over this over and over again. I pray that it just sinks in into your life, especially for those of us that are going through some struggles right now. That God loves you. That he died for you. And he made you. You see, first, I, I like the strength. We were still sinners. Second, you know, I, I, I like the, the merit. I wasn't good enough. I was ungodly. Third, you know, I like the righteousness. I couldn't make myself righteous. We were still sinners. And finally, you know, we were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We have to understand that there is no way that we could do this on our own. We can't. We couldn't, because if we would have, we could have, we would have, long time ago. God placed it in you. How is this possible? What's be, was it because I'm a good person? No. It's because, I, you know, God is making peace. He's reconciling us to himself. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. You see, Paul goes back to the semination, the seminating thought that these people had. No, Jesus Christ had a flesh. No, he didn't. They would say, they would argue, no, he didn't have a, yes, yes, he did. And there's, there are a lot of people out here today that believe that Jesus Christ was just a spirit, a good man, a teacher. He wasn't genuinely God, no. He was man, and he was God. And Paul says he did it in his flesh. He died by using his body. He laid his body down. He was crucified. Nobody took his life from him. He gave up his life. He was flesh and bones. As a matter of fact, this thought process of emanations of spirits and ghosts even went further past the crucifixion to the resurrection. They, Thomas said, you know, I, I'm not going to believe this unless I touch his skin. I got to put my fingers in his, the hands of the holes in his hand. I got to put my hand in his side in order to believe that he really resurrected. Otherwise, you guys are just seeing a ghost or you guys are being deluded or you're, you're, I don't know, you guys are seeing things. And right at the moment, Jesus shows up. Touch. Thomas says, my Lord, and my God proclaimed that he was God. Some people kind of phrase it this way. Oh, my God. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say OMG. Again, that wasn't even a term at that time. But he proclaimed Jesus Christ to be Lord. And he pro proclaimed him to be God. And so this is how he made this reconciliation possible. By the body of his flesh and by his death. Where Christ, what he did is he gave himself for us. In Hebrews 13, verse 11, the Bible says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. If you know about Golgotha, Golgotha wasn't in the city. It was outside of the city. The skull the mountain of the skull, the place of crucifixion. They didn't keep it in the city. They put it out beyond the city uh, as people were 
walking up to Jerusalem on public display. When they sacrificed the animals in the Old Testament, they took them out and they, they crucified them, they sacrificed them outside. Jesus Christ fulfilled that reference. The reference to Christ's blood stresses the link between the violent death and the death of the animals. This death that Jesus Christ had to endure was the same death that these animals had to endure. They had no fault of their own. They're just man, all over the place, grazing and pop, jumping around. Now, come here. You're, you're a perfect lamb. Yes, I am. I'm a very perfect lamb. Look at me. No blemish. I'm only one years old. I got my whole life ahead of me. Slip. You're done. And that was a, as a matter of fact, when we go through Seder, and we talk about the lamb that the parents would buy and purchase or keep. And they would keep it with them for the, from Sunday to Friday. They would keep it with them as they would present it to the, the chief priest. And they, they would look at the lamb. This is a good looking lamb. This is take it home. And the children would play with it and love it and, you know, be, be nur- they would nurture it. And then the pain and the agony that they would suffer as they would give the lamb away to be slaughtered was a picture of us, of the people, and their connection with Jesus Christ. There's, there are a lot more connections if you've been with us at any given time for a Seder. In John chapter 10, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, Jesus says, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Nobody took Jesus' life. Nobody did. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. He said it was finished. He said it was done. I've completed my task. And so, as we were reading a little while ago, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 5.10. He, and he was, we were reconciled to God. We were brought to him because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The literal blood it doesn't have any special powers. It's symbolic of the Old Testament. It's symbolic of being washed in the blood. We, we, we sang that a little while ago. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're redeemed by His blood. Not, not that His blood is sprinkled on us or that we have His blood flowing through our veins. But in Hebrews 9.22 it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The writer to the Hebrews is very on point when he goes to the Old Testament and looks at all the things that took place in the Old Testament and how Jesus Christ fulfilled it. And so he's saying this. He's saying it's, it's, just, it's not the bleeding, uh, but the salvation. It's not the blood and actuality, the, the, the literal blood, but it's what it represents and how he covered all our sins. Christ's blood is precious. We talk about that all the time. But the greatest thing above it all we were talking about this last night as a or yesterday morning in a Bible study, kind of my wife and I, you know, that, you know, yes, the blood is significant. Yes, the cross is significant. Yes. And that's what the writers talk about. They talk about the sacrifice, the blood, the cross. But if it wasn't for the resurrection, he would just have been another martyr. He resurrected. For God, in Romans 8, 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What man could not do, what you and I could not do, it had to have been done through Jesus Christ, through a perfect sacrificial lamb. He took the place of sinners, dying in this substitutionary death. Instead of me dying, he substituted himself for me. 
And that paid the full penalty for the sin of all who believes. The death, that, that death satisfied God's wrath. Number three, oh, I, I'm still, I think I'm still there. God reconciled us for Jesus. The word reconcile, okay? And he did it for a reason. And we'll see this here in just a way. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. But the word reconcile is one of the most significant descriptive terms in the New Testament. To reconcile. And it's one of five words. And here's one. This is not in your outlines. And I think, I hope you have that with you. But if you don't, you can write this down. One word is justification. Justification. And I've simplified that many times over the way they used to do in Sunday school for the kids. Just if I'd never sinned justification but justification is the sinner stands before god guilty and condemned now he is declared right you are declared righteous you're declared right and 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 all this what we were talking about how you were dead to your sin how you were an an, uh an i was gonna say animal (laughs) an animal too uh how you were at enmity with god and how you were uh mad at god how you hated god you have now been made right through justification. Redemption is another word. In redemption, the sinner stands before God as a slave, and but now he has granted you freedom. You are freed from your sin. When somebody redeems something or someone, you are paid for, you are bought, and you are given to whatever it is they want, it, they want you to have. Jesus Christ redeemed you to give you freedom to worship God. You've been redeemed. Another word is forgiveness. The forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor. You owe this debt. But God has forgiven your debt. And you no longer owe this debt because why? Jesus Christ paid that debt for you. Uh, and then we have the verses there as well. It, it, adoption is another word. Adoption, the sinner stands before God as a stranger. We stand before God as alienated, not part of the commonwealth. We are aliens. We are not even part of the, the, the vicinity of God. Yet he adopts you and he's made you his son, his daughter. He makes you. He chooses you. If you know anything about adoption in our country, an adoption back then was even harder to do. You would have to get adopted through this long process and you would lose all your rights to the family and you would gain your rights through the new family. An adoption, if you know anything, a, a parent, parents go and they choose that child. And as many kids are, that are there that, man, I, I want to take them all home, you can't. But you choose one, or maybe two. Sometimes you get a family. But out of the hundreds of people that are there, these parents choose that child. And that child has more rights to the family than the actual child that they birthed. Somebody once said, an adopted child, uh, a naturally born child said to an adopted child, you know, <laughs> They, 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 they adopted you. I was born into this family. And the adopted child says, yeah, well, you know, with me, they had to choose me. With you, they had no choice. <laughs> they had no choice. And God saw to it that he adopted you. And, and again, a beautiful picture. If you understand the adoption process, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into that. And reconciliation is the word that we're working with right now. The sinner stands before God as an enemy. You are an enemy. You're hated. You are, you know, and you, not that you're hated, but you're, you are hating and God hates the sin and God's going to have to deal with that. And you're an enemy of God. And out of that, you become his friend. No longer an enemy, but a friend. And you have been reconciled to people that you've been upset with and mad at. And you've been, you know, reconciled with some people. And some people you, you have not. And, and I want to encourage you right now. 
If God has given you, all this is from God, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You now have this ministry of reconciliation. The rest of it reads like this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Take a look at that. You are now an agent of this kingdom, a representation of this kingdom. You're an ambassador, like the ambassador to Canada, the ambassador to England, the ambassador. You represent this country. You represent God's kingdom. You are now an ambassador, and your responsibility is to go and make reconciliation, first and foremost between you and then between them and God. The goal is to get them to reconcile with God. And they will not reconcile with God if they're not going to reconcile with you. There's some people that you're totally just ticked off at and mad at. I get it. I understand. But if you call yourself a believer, that is your job. He has just made you. He's made you an ambassador. You are a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is your responsibility. That's my responsibility. And I I know, I'll, I'll tell you from experience, it's not easy. Yes, I know. Do you pray? Yeah, I pray for him. I pray that a truck hits him. You know, I pray, I pray that they, they get run over by a car. I, you know, I, I pray for them. No, that's not what you need to do. You pray for them and you get reconciled to those that you're angry at. How are they going to hear the message through all that hate and anger and resentment? How are they going to hear that? Because the message has to be proclaimed by you. The word reconciliation, to reconcile is to change or to exchange. And Paul used the, the biggest word, the hardest word possible. He says, you not only are you reconciling, but you're doing this with everything that you have and everything that you can to make this possible. Now, I understand there comes a point where you just have to, okay, I've done my part. I understand that. God understands that also. And God will see to it that payment is made. It's not up to you to have vengeance. It's up to God to have vengeance. But why reconciliation? Why reconcile humanity? Here it is. He has now, the rest of that verse, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. You see, when you have the fullness of God in you, and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he's, you are now the bride of Christ. Now Jesus is coming back for His bride. And the bride is the body. Now, I know that marriage has lost its significance here just in the past, you know, recent, recent past. Last 50 years, probably not even that long. But marriage doesn't seem to have the importance that it used to have. A man wouldn't marry a woman or connect himself with a woman if she had been with another man. It just wasn't a part of, you know, today it doesn't matter. You know, today, you know, as a matter of fact, before I even get married, people want to live together is what they say. You know, and so marriage has lost its significance. But for the Jewish people, for Jesus Christ, it is the highest, most important. And Paul says, I want to present you holy, separate. I don't want you to be, the words he uses, or the words God uses in the Old Testament, is whoring around. And that's why you are in trouble, because you've been whoring around, going after other gods. 
And, and God tells Gomer this, and God tells Isaiah this, and God t- you know, the, my people are whoring around. And I, I am their bridegroom. This is my bride. Come on. And Paul says, look, I want you guys to stop doing this. And I want you to be reconciled because I want to present you holy and blameless. That's God's ultimate goal, is to reconcile to himself the elect, holy and blameless and above reproach. Paul expected a similar desire for all of us. And so when we say that we have a high view of God, when we say that we believe that the scriptures are sufficient, we will say that we understand the, the, the depravity of man, when we say that this is the role of the church, and, and what the church, how it's supposed to discipline and how it's supposed to work its, work its, uh, work itself out. It's because we believe that God is preparing for himself a holy, blameless individual above reproach. Holy. We've said this before. It means separated from sin and set apart for God. You know, that's what blameless means without blemish. God is making you blameless. And so therefore, he sees you as holy. He sees you as blemish, as, as, excuse me, without blemish. And above reproach goes beyond blemish. Paul says, that's, that's who you are. Act like it. Stop chasing all these other gods or these other things. You don't need another revelation. You don't need another emanation. You don't need anything else but Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent. Repent. And desire him and follow him. Because number four, the last thing I want to share with you is God reconciled us forever. And this is kind of confusing to some people because they don't understand the, well, the perseverance of the saints, how God holds us together. They don't understand that, uh, you know, the genuine, uh, the genuine, uh, how a believer is saved and always saved. Okay. It's, some people call it the once saved, always saved doctrine, but this is the genuine salvation or regeneration of the believer. Where the person is genuinely saved. See, the once saved, always saved doctrine that says, yeah, I came forward, I raised my hand, I said my forgiveness thing, and I, I even repented, and I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. And they take off, and they never come back again. I did it. I even got baptized. Heck, <laughs> you know? I even got a Bible with my birth, spiritual birth date on it right here. The pastor even wrote it on there for me. And so therefore, you know, I can do whatever I want. That's not genuine salvation. And Paul says here, if indeed you continue to in the faith, this is the indicator of your genuineness in Christ. If you continue in your faith. When obstacles come, if you continue in your faith. If you're stable and steadfast when, when things start to hit you. When you're, when you're not shifting from hope uh, of, the, of the gospel that you heard, which has been pro- proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm a minister of this gospel message, giving it to you, saying you're saved, you're always saved, you're going to continue to be saved, and you're saved forever, and you are reconciled forever. You're not just reconciled for a moment. You're reconciled forever. One of the most devastating ugliest thoughts that any believer should should even think about and one of the most sobering truths of the bible jesus said this in matthew 7 on that day jesus said on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name did we proclaim you did we use your word and tell people about you know you your word what it says didn't we do that 
Didn't we prophesy in your name? I mean, we did it in your name. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we pray for people that sick and, and those that were addicted to drugs and alcohol? Didn't we pray for them? Didn't we do that for you, Lord? Did, you know, how much, how much do I have to do and, and, and do many other mighty works in your name? Didn't we do enough? I mean, come on, Jesus. We did a lot. I mean, look at my record. I even got, I got trophies for all the things that I've done. I, I've, I've got recognition. I've got plaques. I've got everything for all the things that I've done in church. Beloved, it's going to be so sobering for some people. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Never knew you. And the worst part of it is, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Beloved, you're saved, you're genuinely saved, you're going through stuff, you're going through things. God's going to keep you steadfast, not moving, not being able to stumble, not, not being pushed every which way by doctrine and wind. The deception that is so deceiving, that, can, that could deceive even the elect if it was possible. You stand firm. Because the worst thing you want is for Jesus Christ to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. <laughs> Who are you? You know, I'm the guy that used to go to church all the time. Oh, you're the guy that used to get in the way all the time. Get all the glory for yourself. Do it for yourself. And, you know, me, me, me. My, what was that? The spiritual gift of gimme? <laughs> spiritual gift of I want, you know, whatever. Of all the marks of a genuine Christian presented in Scripture, none is more specific than the one Paul just mentions here. You give evidence of being truly reconciled when you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. You do. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, and you are, then you are truly my disciple. In 1 John 2, 19, of talking to those, that you know, this is another question I get asked. What about that pastor that, you know, just walked away, ran away? You know, he was serving, loving, and all of a sudden he takes off with the secretary, has, you know, an affair, and takes all the money. What about that guy? Then John said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were never of us. You can put up a facade for so long. After a while, it just crumbles. And it just shows, not that you lost your salvation, not that you, uh, you know, put on the shelf, came back and got it later. You were never part of us. You were never part of the gospel message, the genuine gospel message. Because if you're genuinely redeemed, if you're genuinely saved, you're not going to go back to that stuff. Oh, I'm not saying that you're not going to be, you're going to be perfect. You will sin, but you hate your sin. It just costs, oh man, I can't believe I did. Lord, please have mercy on me. Yes, I'm having mercy on you. Forgive me, I've forgiven you. Just don't do it again. But if you continue and you continue, then you need to check yourself. Paul says, excuse me, Peter says that we need to examine ourselves. On a regular basis. And the fact that you're examining yourself is a strong indication that you are saved. I want to keep examining myself. I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. I want to make sure that the resources I'm reading are right. I want to make sure that what the pastor's saying is right. I want to just examine myself. Examine what the Bible says. Jesus says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because it was hard teaching. Jesus had just fed the multitudes. Went, around, went to the other side of the, uh, the, the lake. And they all followed him. Hey, we're here again, Jesus. What's for lunch? He says, well, you want to eat something? Here, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How's that? What? 
<laughs> if any one of you wants to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. People say, yeah, you know, that's okay. I'll just go to McDonald's or something. I don't, I don't want none of this. And they all walked away. The disciples were left behind. Jesus says, what about you guys? Which, it's got a lot more significance than that. I'm just giving you the cliff notes. He asked the disciples, he says, what about you guys? And the disciples says, who else do we go to? You're the one that has the bread of life. This is what Jesus was talking about. I'll give you the bread of life if you want it. But it's going to cost you. You see, you see, to say that it doesn't cost you anything to believe in Jesus Christ, oh, beloved, it does. It costs you your life. It costs you your life. you got to be willing to sacrifice your life, to deny yourself, pick, pick up your cross daily and follow him, Luke 9.23. And it's going to cost you. And these people, they just wanted to get fed. We, we just want the benefits, Jesus. Just give us the food. Come on, just feed us. We're hungry. You want to eat something? Here it is. And the Bible says that many of them just walked away. When we come to the end of this part of the scripture, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I am a minister, if you continue on, if you continue on, if you continue on, Paul is basically saying that is your evidence. That is your proof. And some of you are thinking, well, can I just know now? Well, if you're continuing on today, yeah, you know now. Tomorrow will be another challenge, and you'll know then. The next day, next week, next month, next year. And for some, it takes a lifetime. And yet, which is one of the things that my wife and I have shared, is, you know, we, we've been doing this for, well, for a lot of years, 35 years. And we still look back. And we still look, okay, well... And, and when we look back and we, we start to realize, man, Lord, what a blessing. What, how beautiful that, that's been. You know, and, and okay, I can face tomorrow. I can face tomorrow because of what he's done for us. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. This is why Paul says this. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister. We're going to talk about this next week. Some of you are thinking, okay, well, good. I'm glad. I don't have to be a minister. You know, because a minister's job is difficult. Minister's job is elevated. Minister's job is, you know, you got to be educated. You got to be credentialed. You got to be, you know, I'm not a minister. You know, well, we're going to talk about this next week and uh, it'll surprise you. Let me ask you to stand. Paul was rejoicing in his suffering. He was talking to them out of prison. He's getting ready to get executed. And he says, I rejoice in that. And people think, okay, where was he at? Was he on the beaches of Bob? No, he was in prison. And he's filling up what is lacking in Christ. In other words, all the affliction and all the pain and everything that Christ would have endured. He says, I'm taking it now because he's not here. Do it to me. Do it to me because I became this minister. And I want to continue to be this minister. And I pray that you too become Minister, Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that seems to be, that eludes us at times. We don't get the full meaning of it. And Lord, we, we didn't even begin to dig deeper into this. But Father, you gave us a, a good picture of what Paul is dealing with in Coloss. And the things that we are dealing with here on this planet, even today, within the church and in the church. So Lord, I pray that we can take this teaching and this word and, and apply it to our life. 
that we do not leave here being deceived, that this is genuine salvation, if we keep going on. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do, and all that you do, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Stick around for a moment, okay? Okay.